0: Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. We have a great show this week, and Adam sits down for an interview with John Shea. John is the Chief Executive Officer of the Octagon Sports and Entertainment Network, a role he was recently promoted to at the beginning of April. Prior to being named CEO, John serves as the global president of marketing and events for Octagon. As CEO, John leads the day-to-day responsibilities of strategic management for Octagon Sports Entertainment Network's collection of industry-leading sports and entertainment marketing, talent management, communication, influencer, and creative firms. An in industry veteran with more than two decades of experience in sports marketing, sponsorship, and advertising, John manages a team of 400 plus employees across the globe, working to help the agency's clients find the next right move in the sports and entertainment landscape. Since joining Octagon in 1994, John has played a pivotal role in building the agency's business through a client-first approach. Under John's leadership, Octagon has developed a comprehensive offering of sports marketing and consultative expertise, tripled the agency's services capabilities, and added multiple regional offices around the globe. A graduate of St. John's University, John was named one of Sports Business Journal's 40 Under 40 as one of the best and brightest. Of the rising generation in sports business in 2008, in 2009. It's a really fascinating interview, and we really appreciate John's time. So we hope everyone enjoys Adam's interview with John Shay.
1: Welcome to the Revenue Above Replacement podcast by Northwestern University. I'm your host, Adam Grossman. Today we have uh, with us John Shea. John has had a very long and distinguished career at Octagon, which he's going to walk us through. And we're very excited to have him on the program today. So, John, welcome to the Revenue Above Replacement podcast.
2: Thanks, Adam. I'm happy to join you and looking forward to the conversation.
1: Yeah, let's start first thing first. Can you give us a little background? Uh, you know, I know you spent a long time at Octagon, but uh, can you give us a little background starting from Starting from the beginning, starting from when you first got there and then to your current role.
2: I'm going to hit uh, a few highlights because uh, I've been fortunate to be at Octagon for 26 years. And so um, if I start at the beginning, uh, I will bore you and uh, our listeners.
1: <laughs> as, as my students know, they, they know I can draw. You know, they know I can talk <laughs> a long periods of time. So, again, yeah, we got plenty of time. So feel free to go far.
2: Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, currently I'm the president of Octagon Marketing and Events on a global basis. Um, for those that don't know, Octagon we're a global creative agency focused on sports, entertainment, and culture. Uh, we are part of the Interpublic Group of Companies. That's a holding company of communications firms. It's about sixty thousand people worldwide. Um, As I mentioned, I've been with the company for 26 years. I started as an intern and so I've worked, you know, across our marketing business um, in a number of different roles and capacities um, and feel very fortunate to have had the the chance to do so. So it's pretty uncommon that uh, people stay one place for 26 years. Um, And, um, you know, again, I'm fortunate and interesting Uh, to go from an intern uh, to the position that I have today.
1: Uh, Yeah, let's start with that. So what do you think has been a key to your success and why do you think you've been able to rise um, through all the different roles uh, that you've had at Octagon to your current position?
2: Yeah, um, I guess there's there's a lot to that. Um, you know, I've the company has treated me well, and in return, I'd like to think that I've done equally as well by the company. Uh, I've been presented new opportunities, um, you know, to learn and challenge myself. Uh, always, you know, feeling respected and like like my contributions matter. Um, and you know, that's a part of the culture that we try to create for the company at large. You know, empowerment is something we talk about. For all of our employees, and so I have felt empowered from the time I started as an intern to you know my role today. Um, and um, you know, while the company has presented me opportunities, um, they've also given me a voice to pursue opportunities. Um, you know, if I've got a, you know a particular interest or passion. Um, you know, we're we've I've been encouraged to speak up and to try and create my own path Clearly, you know we have to do that within within the structure of a business and a corporate environment but you know I think at octagon we're fairly um, non-traditional in that. Uh, we will try different things. We will create opportunities for individuals. You know, it's got to work for the company. It's got to work for the individual. But so it's been, a, it's, you know, all that, I think, to summarizing a point, it's been a two-way street. Great opportunity. Uh, and, and, you know, I think I've tried to make the most of those opportunities.
1: Can you talk some more about those opportunities that you've, you know, either pushed for or have been given throughout your career?
2: Sure. You know, at the start, um, I was working in our events group, you know, I was working on a a touring property uh, in advance of the uh, 1994 World Cup to really date myself. Um, And, um, you know, that led to another first full time opportunity again within our events group, working on a grassroots golf event. Um, And after a year or a year and a half, um, uh, there was a job posting for a role Uh, on the BMW account working on the Olympics, and the Olympics was always something for me that I had an interest in, you know, um, purely just as a fan, but as I got into the business, I had an interest in wanting to work on something that was global in nature, Um, and, you know, certainly one of the events thought of as one of the biggest global events, you know, uh, on the planet, so um, I was able to pursue that opportunity, you know, landed that, um, and that was really, I think, uh, that the BMW Olympic job was really the start um, of my career. And I hold um, that experience in high regard. And and that was kind of a springboard for a lot of what followed.
1: Yeah, I think that's really helpful. Can you talk about what it's like to work on a property as big as significant as the Olympics, particularly for a well-known brand like BMW so early in your career?
2: Yeah, it, um, it, it opened my eyes to um, really to corporate marketing, you know, the structure, the interdependency of um, of almost a committee approach, you know, the, the opportunity to leverage um, the Olympic games was vast, is vast, um, and it can work across um, and should work across, you know, companies. And so whether that's from an HR standpoint, marketing and sales, um, you know, at the time, their communications public relations group. And so uh, it was really my foray into truly integrated marketing. Um, and my role was almost a project manager. So I was getting to learn um, how to be the, a contributing member of a team. And, and we were representing kind of experiential marketing or event marketing specifically. But our job was to bring together all those facets of BMW's business Um, to one kind of coordinated effort. And so it was, again, a great opportunity um, to learn uh, and to be a part of a major global property that was taking place in the US and to learn the car business. Um, And BMW got into that the foundation of that for them was, was two things. They were um, just opening their uh, manufacturing plant in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And so they were had an opportunity to really introduce themselves to the US market, and they were launching um, a new vehicle. And so those two things were the platform for them to evaluate the opportunity and ultimately decide to, to move forward with it.
1: You mentioned a couple of terms that I, you know, given our audience, I want to make sure that they understand what Sure. You're integrated marketing, event marketing, experiential marketing. Can you just talk about each of those? I know they're related and they have relationships. Yep. Can you just talk about more of those in detail?
2: Sure. And, and you know, I think how I describe them will perhaps be personal to my experience and our experience at Octagon and others might interpret them slightly differently. I mean, there's not a universal uh, definition, but you know, integrated marketing um, in my way of thinking, our way of thinking are bringing all the facets of a business of a, of a marketing organization. And I'd say it's really broader than a marketing organization. It's bringing all the facets, all the departments of a company who are going to take part in a marketing campaign and a business um, effort to come together with a common set of goals and directives, um, to help, you know, to help drive business, um, event marketing and experiential marketing, I think are really terms that are, um, today, um, used interchangeably. Um, and that ultimately is the ability to bring, in um, an, an individual, um, and experience and a brand experience. So ultimately, you know, we, our job was to introduce um, consumers, people, to the BMW brand and to their, you know, fleet of vehicles. Um, and that's still something we we take great pride in doing today. And we do it in a lot of different forms. But it's ultimately, a, you know, a one-to-one or one-to-some experience um, with a product or service on behalf of of a company or a brand.
1: And, you know, we've talked about some of the things maybe earlier in your career. Can you talk about some of the, you know, obviously um, taking advantage of opportunities, like you said, innovation, uh, both within Octagon and in the space. Can you talk about some more of the opportunities that you worked on later in your career and, you know, in terms of how they've helped you grow into your current role?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think – I think starting, you know, as an intern on the touring property, then building to um, working across, you know, global platform in the Olympics, um, you know, I started at the ground up, you know, I I learned um, what you know i learned how to be a part of a team i learned to watch people create teams i watched the dynamic of working together i watched the challenges of different departments having different maybe objectives or a different approach to business and then and then helping to hopefully influence um you know a team work or team mentality and so that foundation you know continues to um serve me well uh you know today my my role is to lead our team around the world. That's about 700 people. Um, And we have a lot of, you know, we have different um, divisions uh, and specialty areas we call them today. And each of them um, brings together a different set of people, a different um, set of expertise, but ultimately, We need all of those pieces to come together to serve our clients in the most meaningful way, and so, you know, bringing together disparate parts to be one team um, and work in unison towards a common set of goals um, is ultimately what many or most um, business operators are are challenged with. You know,
1: obviously, Uh, one of Octagon's, not, Octagon's core uh, capabilities around partnership and sponsorship. Can you talk about the evolution of partnership and sponsorship since you've been at Octagon? Obviously sponsorship is something we cover in the class, but it's particularly since it, it, whether in your role or what you're seeing in the industry, can you talk about the evolution of sponsorship from where you've started to where you are now?
2: Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, sponsorship as a marketing, you know, discipline has evolved much like marketing has. And so the sophistication, um, and, and reliance and use of data, um, and storytelling are probably, you know, where the, where the, um, and the decision-making, the use of data in evaluating sponsorships and platforms, you know, in the early part, of sponsorship, um, which predates the start of my career, believe it or not, but, um, you know, we use the term and there was a lot of it of executive, you know, a particular executive had an interest uh, in a particular sport or property. Um, Sometimes it was closely tied to the business and other times it was more, you know, um, personal interest. But, you know, that executive is uh, really not a part of the, very little part of the landscape today. Um, You know, these are big, important decisions that, you know, CEOs and CMOs and board of directors are making to align their brand or their business, you know, with a property, whether it be the NFL, the NBA, the Olympic Games, the FIFA World Cup. And so there's a lot riding on those decisions. And so ultimately, um, you know, those are treated as very important business decisions. They're evaluated. Um, You know, with part art and part science, for sure, because that's what marketing is, Um, but the data, um, the foundation, I think, of of most decisions in our business and certainly the decisions that we help to influence from our company with our clients, the foundation of that is data. And, you know, um, we use data at the start of the process to identify target audiences and insights about the target audience. We, um, we use data to validate some of our ideas uh, to see if they resonate with audiences, to test them, if you will, versus validate them. We use data to you know, understand the impact of a program um, to consumers' you know, behavior, to their mindset, ultimately to the business. So really the biggest part of the evolution from our perspective, from my perspective on the business is the use of data which I know is um, near and dear uh, to your heart and, and to your work more importantly.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. And again, something we talk about in detail in the class. But a couple of questions from that perspective. Um, sure. You particularly mentioned the evolution of C-suite executives being more potentially involved in a decision in a more granular way. Can you talk about how they've seen data and the impact of data in, in terms of their decision-making processes? In terms of you know your how they accept data and how they're using data to decide what sponsorships to to, to partner with, and what properties potentially to examine.
2: Yeah, you know, um, the, the expectation, you know, at the start is that data, you know, that um, data is going to serve as the foundation. You know, it's going to help to prove out um, the why. And, you know, again, that, that starts to talk about um, reach. Who am I, you know, who is the target audience that this property reaches? Does it, how does that align with the target audience of, you know, my business, of my service? Um, it, it will then help to ultimately identify, you know, on the, on the, if that's on the front end, who am I reaching? What am I reaching? Um, what are my, what are our, my values of, of our company? Do those values align, um, with the target audience is there, you know, we talk often about the halo effect of, a, of this aligning a brand with a property. And so, you know, that there's a data story through each of those elements. Um, We will often, uh, as will others, but we'll often, um, as we're getting into the evaluation of a property, we'll write the foundation of the marketing plan and that will have very clear um, objectives. And um, each of those objectives will have a set of KPIs, right? Uh, Key performance, indexes or key performance um, elements that we will ultimately measure against. And so, you know, we're writing the strategy, the marketing plan, um, and uh, and identifying the measurement plan really in the early stages of of that process to ensure to the best of our ability um, that you know, our client is going to be able to drive the outcome that they desire from the start of the process. Um, And that, you know, that is a very thorough process, Um, but it, you know, it's by no means perfect, right? It it is um, based on assumptions. Um, Some are hard and fast, others are estimated, and you ultimately, if you decide to move forward, then you've got to take that plan, evolve it, Implement it and then measure it in real time to ultimately determine is it driving the results. And you know, business, um, the environment will change. Business uh, objectives often change, and so building in flexibility and adaptability to you know um, sponsorship programs um, is also you know important to the ultimate outcome.
1: Yeah, and I, I wanted to ask this in a context of another question, which is, have you seen the acceleration of in further use of data, information, insights from a quantitative side because of the impact of COVID-19 on the sports industry? And if yes, why do you think that's the case? And if not, um, do you think that will happen soon?
2: Oh, that is, I, I, you know, here's a great answer. Um, yes and no. I mean, it's happening as we speak. And so I don't, It's it has not, um, Probably hit its um, peak, right? You know, we're using data to understand fans' willingness to come back into sports venues. Um, we are, you know, so we feel that studies, as you know, we feel that studies early on to identify when when fans thought they might come back, what what are the stages um, of how people treat the the pandemic, the coronavirus, um, you know, what are the implications of that, and so. What will it take for fans to feel safe to come back? And so, the use of data um, is absolutely um, happening and will continue to happen.
1: So, and then I want to get back to one other point on this: is you, you know you sure. mentioned the art and science. So obviously, even now there's still a use of art and science in the ways that you've described. Can you talk about that balance of art and science and how you look at it at Octagon?
2: Yeah. So, you know the. Um, The art um, comes in a few ways, right? There's the art of the deal, right? No two deals are exactly the same. And so you need to be creative in your um, solutions. Uh, The art comes in creating marketing programs, right? It's at the core of a marketing concept is an idea. And so that idea is an art. And then you use the science to hopefully build up the insights to create your idea. You use the science To test the idea, use the science to validate the outcomes um, and the business impacts. And so, um, you know, I think there's art throughout, there's um, science throughout, and those two things for us have to work hand in hand. You know, I think that in our um, in the evolution of the use of data in marketing, um, it's easy to come. We've all heard the term kind of paralysis by analysis. You can. you you can have too much information, you can not know where to start or where it ends. And so I think really being able to use the data in a smart way um, and having actionable data um, ultimately for us is really important. Um, We have um, some years ago created a proprietary study called Passion Drivers and Passion Drivers ultimately um, was created to understand the passions, the drivers of people's behavior and motivation relative to the sports that they love and choose to invest their their time and money in. And so that allowed us, again, to bring the art and science together, understanding people's passions, understanding their degrees of fandom, understanding what motivates them, why they like baseball more than what they like about baseball, that's different than what they like about the NBA or the, or the NFL. And that allows us to create very custom ideas tailored to that audience along with, you know, a brand um, that's going to help to develop and bring that you know, idea to life on behalf of um, or to a consumer.
1: I realize I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but is there any passion driver any insight from the passion driver from quantitative analysis through the passion driver that was surprising or something you didn't necessarily think of when you, before you uh, a priori doing the passion driver analysis? Um,
2: yes, uh, I think the one that jumps out to me, and again, you know, sometimes, sometimes research and will validate what you thought you know, or sometimes it's a surprise. And so, you know, one of the things that um, was brought to light for us at the time that it launched was that um, the NBA fans Um, we thought were really, like a lot of sports fans, would be based on team devotion. But the reality of uh, our findings were that NBA fans really ended up wanting to follow individual athletes more than than local teams. That's not to say that people don't have a devotion to team, but they have a higher inclination to want to follow an individual versus a team. And that's very different for the NBA versus the NFL um, or Major League Baseball. I mean, Major League Baseball, in comparison, the fans really follow the sport from a nostalgic standpoint. Like I watched the game with my brother or my father and my mother and my uncle. And so that connection to a local team was more about nostalgia where the NBA was about um, that kind of individual uh, athlete
1: uh, one of the things you've talked about, whether in this context or you know, a little bit in the past, is the evolution of real-time data analysis, and that's in part because of the evolution of technology and new technology platforms and access to those technology platforms. Can you talk about the evolution of technology in the sponsorship space, uh, particularly as you've seen it throughout your career, and, and kind of what are some trends that you've identified through the evolution of, of, the, of the technology space?
2: Yeah, um, you know, when I think about technology specifically, I mean, it's, it's had such a vast um, impact and will continue to do so. Um, you know, I think about the proliferation of content, right? The availability of, of sports content um, being far and wide. And, you know, from the start of my career to today, I couldn't probably really have ever imagined how much content would be available, you know, well beyond the live game. And so technology has enabled that for sure, um, and will continue to do so. And so, you know, we believe that live sports will continue to be really important um, uh, for consumption. However, um, people watching, right, the full full game, a game in its entirety is probably gonna continue to, um, diminish and so you know for properties and marketers it's going to be how do we continue to create um, meaningful content that is live game focused or, or shows live games but perhaps in shorter formats and so it'll be interesting to see over time you know how and, and all the sports are evaluating you know should our games be shorter can that, can they that be shorter can we have shorter seasons you know, attention because of the proliferation of technology and content, um, people's um, uh, time is just, you know, it's it's short. And so we need to be um, very cognizant of that as we create uh, marketing programs. And I think that um, technology leads to, right, from a marketing trend overall, you're talking about storytelling being more and more important because you have to capture the intention of your audience uh, and obviously, the use of video will continue to um, be really critical in doing that.
1: Yeah, and you've talked about content personalization. Yeah, you know, obviously, the Microsoft yeah. deal with the NBA is a good example of that. Do you, you know, if we talked about it a little bit in terms of the coronavirus and COVID nineteen. Do you see whether it's content personalization or other trends maybe being accelerated that were happening in the industry anyway, but maybe being accelerated because of the current environment?
2: Yeah, um, I do think personalization. um, And and I don't know that that's um, in my way of thinking that the current situation of COVID is um, speeding that up, but I just think that life in general is speeding that up. You know, I think it it comes down to, um, right, the right content, the right message at the right time for me, right, where we, we live. And operate. We live and work in kind of this me society. Cheapens it. I don't think it's quite that, um, but it's important. Um, and so I do think that ultimately, delivering custom, personalized content to an individual um, is happening, and will continue. Right? having it happen at scale um, is where we need to evolve to. It's not it sounds simple it's not quite as simple it's not quite as automated so you know i think technology will continue um, to um, help deliver and, and pay that off
1: and you, you you've talked about um, how octagon works in sports but not just in sports and arts and entertainment and other sectors can you talk about what it's like to work in those sectors and also what are the differences between those sectors and potentially sports if you see any um,
2: yeah, I mean, there. I mean, ultimately, if I were to simplify it, right? People have. It comes back to passions. Certain people have, you know, passion for music or passion for food or passion for arts, a passion for driving, um, and and um, and people's passions span many different genres. And so, you know, ultimately, I think for us, it's about creating. The right experience for an individual in, in a particular environment. And there are, you know, there are, um, there are more than nuances. There are, you know, there are significant differences in between the structure of the music industry and the structure of a sports league, just who are the rights holders, how many rights holders there are, how that, you know, how, who holds certain licenses. And so, you know, helping our clients navigate those differences, um, you know, is uh, really important because they are there are similarities. But for every similarity, there's a there's a, a set of, of differences that um, you know require expertise and counsel um, to ultimately get the deal right. Um, but you know, more importantly than getting or as important as getting the deal right is, is ultimately speaking to a consumer in a meaningful and authentic way um, and, you know, how you market Um, you know, a a connection to music versus a, you know, versus a sport versus a culinary opportunity are are potentially very different.
1: On that point, do you see um, brands and your uh, clients that you're working with, brands or properties, are you seeing them approach it anything differently, particularly um, since you've been at Octagon? Has there been an evolution of their perception of, you know, sports versus arts versus entertainment, even versus influencer marketing?
2: Uh, it's probably less right it's less averse and more an and it, it's you know where do these things when should they come together where do they come together um but most many of them do if you think about you know sports venues today right the culinary experience that happens at um, arenas or stadiums or ballparks uh, is very different you know just in the last 10 years maybe even the last five years um, when you think about the entertainment in venue, um, you know, entertainers um, or entertainment is a big part of the sports experience. And, and so I think it's, it's much less verse and much more and, and then, you know, depending on a company um, and their customer base, those are very diverse groups of people. And so, you know, a portfolio will often include, you know, something that is music-based, something that's arts-based, and sports-based.
1: And as we're getting towards the end of the podcast, there's a couple of questions that we like to ask um, all of our guests. The first one is, you know, obviously we've articulated that, you, and you've articulated uh, a lot of the success in your career. Can you talk about a, uh, a challenge or a failure that happened in your career that you've learned from and grown from, particularly as you've achieved a lot of overall success in your career?
2: Well, thanks. Um, I hope there's more to come. Um, uh, and truth is, uh, you know, careers like life, there's, there's a lot of ups and downs. Um, and, you know, how we deal with those challenges, um, well, ultimately, I think, says a lot about who we are and, and what we are. And so um, maybe not a specific failure, but, you know, in the moment, um, each challenge, each mistake feels really heavy. Um, and, and some of them really are, and, and others, you know, you have perspective over time and you realize they weren't quite as um, bad or significant. But ultimately, you know, what I've tried to do during my career um, is take in as much information in the moment as I can, um, you know, uh, demonstrate great respect for the situation, the people involved, um, have empathy for the situation, the people involved, and make as an informed decision in the moment as I can or contribute to a decision. So, you know, there's a lot of cases in my career where I wasn't the decision maker, but I was helping to inform someone to make a good decision. Uh, To, you know, feel as good about that situation, that decision as you can, and then to use that throughout your career, right? Our careers, our collection of experiences. And hopefully if there's anything we're all going to do time and time again, is continue to learn. So how do you take what happened in one day, apply it to the next? And just because you've applied it doesn't mean that you've got it exactly right. Every situation is a little bit different. So I think my advice on challenges is to learn from all of them, take them in as a collection, to use information to the best of your ability and to continue to learn um, to and, and evolve.
1: One point I wanted to follow up on, which I thought was was interesting, was you you were talking about informing leaders and how you work to inform leaders, particularly in in difficult or challenging situations. Can you talk more about how you do communicate with senior leaders or how you communicate with people, particularly leaders in challenging situations? Or yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I think that um, with wherever you are in an organization, you're likely to be relied on to deliver information up the you know. Up the food chain, down the food chain, across the food chain. And so, you know, I think that facts, first and foremost, facts are critical to import critically important. When you're in, in a situation, you try to um, maintain kind of a, a, an even keel, an even demeanor. Um, that's obviously uh, harder or easier at certain times, but emotion has has a way can get in the way of good informed decisions. So, you know, I like to use facts. I like to attempt to remove emotion where possible. Um, And I like to be able to help think two or three steps down the line. So, you know, whatever position you're in, you have a boss, they have a boss. What information do you think is going to help them make the most informed decision that they're going to have to. Equally, when you're a leader, You want to give the people working with you and for you as much information as you can to help them do their jobs as best they can to inform their choices, to inform their careers as best you can. And so I think we all, and communication is something that every business, you know, human beings in general um, struggle with, and I'm no different, but being aware of the importance of communication and complete information, you know, in in the world we live today, um, we often use transparency, like we, we want to use and achieve transparency. That's a, you know, it's a tall order, um, and, but I think it's really important. Um, and when when people say you're going to operate with transparency, sometimes that leads someone to believe that you haven't been truthfully transparent in the past. And so I think it's important to set the foundation of just being informative using information um, across the organization um, as best we can and so you know we we do as a company we share a lot of information um, and we try one you think about where i started this empowerment to me is a really important piece of our culture and so information helps to assist people being empowered and in making informed decisions
1: and just on that last point about sharing information, how are you sharing information, particularly in the current environment?
2: Yeah, so um, <clears throat> the current environment, you know, much like this podcast, we are on, you know, Zoom call, Teams call. So we're using video capabilities far more than we um, ever have. Um, <clears throat> we call, you know, we're encouraging uh, all hands meetings. So once a week, we bring together um people across our business, uh, all people, we do all hands meetings, you know, once a week across our key geography. So we do one in the US, we do one in Asia, we do one in Europe Um, and those, we call them huddles. We do 15 minute huddles and that's, that was actually pre-COVID, it'll be post-COVID. Once a week we bring everyone together in the organization to talk about the priorities of the business at a given time, we celebrate wins, we talk about losses, um, we acknowledge what's going on in the world. um, you know, things that are good, things that are, are, are bad. Um, and, and so we use huddles as a format to share information. Um, we are, you know, we distribute, we distribute a lot of written documents. Um, we use file share, so we share information at a lot of levels, and then we are really encouraging our leaders then to have, you know, small, small and smaller, um, group meetings so that we can have, the personal kind of contact um, that today we are missing by not being in the office. And in some cases, truthfully, it's gotten better. Um, our, our organization, our company has never been closer on a global level than we are today. And so because of COVID, one of the silver lines for us is we have learned how to communicate, how to come, how to come together, uh, and how to really operate as a global business versus a series of kind of regional offices.
1: And then the last question that we ask for all of our guests is, you know, we have students who are either looking to enter in the sports industry or Mm -hmm. uh, progress in the sports industry. You know, what we like to ask our guests is not necessarily advice on, on, you know, what it takes to get into per se, but as much as like, what are you looking for in an employee? What are you looking for when you're hiring somebody? You've obviously hired people at a variety of different levels. So if if students are trying to enter, what would you uh, ask, or what would you be looking for in a student who's looking to enter or, um, enhance their position in the industry.
2: Yeah, there's um, there's a lot to that. Uh, you know, first and foremost, um, we're looking for um, people who are passionate, people who want to be in the business, and they want to be in the business. I re- and I, I stress that point because it's a business first. The fact that we work in sports and entertainment it is fantastic. You know environment or industries to work across but first and foremost it it is a business and has to be treated like a business and so uh, i personally believe that if you're passionate about what you want to do you have a a lot uh, better opportunity to be really good at um from a skill set we want people who are solutions oriented you know we want people identifying the problem um you know isn't particularly hard you know, identifying the solutions, the creative solutions, the, the options. To me, that's, you know, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. And so having the solutions orientation um, mindset to us is most important. I know obviously we're looking for people who are, you know, they're smart, they're articulate. Um, but to me, when we boil down to, we want people who are students, of, of the business um, and who are going to be assertive and creative in finding solutions.
1: That's a great place to leave it, a great place to end it. John, we really thank you for your time. We thank you for your insight um, and we appreciate you being on the podcast today.
2: My pleasure, Adam. Thanks. Good luck.
1: Thank you.